You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Welcome to Kootenai Community Church Adult Sunday School. And uh, we are opening the book of Philippians once again. If you would, please turn with me to chapter 2. And we have been looking at a portion in which Paul has addressed the Philippians and he is pointing them to an example. He is, first of all, wanting them to humble themselves. So the example, of course, that he uses is the preeminent example, that of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul will begin with uh, verse 8, and I'll carry it through to verse 13, but we'll be focusing this morning on verse 12. But before we begin, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise you this morning and want your name to be lifted up and exalted once again. And Father, as we consider this text in which your Son, once again, is exalted. We pray that you would grant us not only understanding of your word, but also the grace to apply these truths to our lives, that you, once again, might be glorified through your saints as we apply these truths by your grace. And we just give you praise and thanksgiving, and we ask this in the precious name of your Son, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's uh, pick up in verse 9, in which Paul has pointed to Christ. And he says this, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Of course, we know that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Kyrios, God, he is the Lord God creator, the provider of our salvation, the redeemer of our salvation. The Lord God who came to earth, being fully man and fully God, lived a perfect sinless life, suffered and died, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. This is the example that Paul lifts up for us to follow as an example of humility. He could not have given 
a higher example, the supreme example of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ came into the world, <clears throat> the world was much like our world. It was dominated by Satan. It was dominated by sin, selfish men who were evil. And it was also full of grief and unhappiness. This is the world in which Christ entered. It is much like the world today. The world fought against Christ, just as it fights against his followers today. So Christ had been tempted, he'd been tried, and yet without sin. He humbled himself and faced death on the cross. And then he was highly exalted, and he had conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered death and the grave. Now we're in a time that redemption has not yet been completed. It will be completed. We're redeemed, and yet our redemption is not yet completed. We'll be some, at some point in time, we'll be in our glorified bodies. We have been justified, and sometime we look forward to glorification. So here, Paul is lifted up our Lord. Christ's salvation brings glory to God in every way. By acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this brings glory to our Lord. We pass from death into life. From judgment into glory. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And Paul makes that very clear in Romans 8. As we look at that text, it shows not only the love of God that's eternally secure, but how great that love is. Nothing can separate that love for his own. All those that have confessed saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ in salvation will be with him for all eternity. So this doctrine that Paul is examining now is, should bring comfort to us all. This is a doctrine of faithfulness in evidencing our salvation. Now, it is true that we pray in the name of Jesus when we pray. And we often use the name of Jesus. And Paul just has said that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess Jesus as Lord. And yet, <clears throat> we're sometimes overwhelmed by our weaknesses of our flesh and fall into sin. And yet, through repentance and confession of our sin and turning from our sin, God is merciful to his saints and grants forgiveness and restoration to himself. So we look forward to the glorified heaven that we will spend in all eternity with our Lord. Now, as we look at this text, 
we consider scriptures having a number of paradoxes. That is, there's numerous passages which seem to be conflicting. And we just looked at one. That is, God being fully God and fully man. That seems like a paradox. And yet it is not. Another paradox is that Scripture was penned by men and yet inspired by God. So there's numerous paradoxes throughout Scripture. That is, seemingly contradictory statements. And to try to resolve those in our mind sometimes brings conflict and sometimes brings a lack of clear understanding. And as Jim pointed out last week in Ecclesiastes, when man tries to understand some things, no matter how brilliant or how much study we come, come away lacking full understanding of God's ways. His ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah tells us that in Isaiah 55. So we have to understand that there are some things in Scripture that we will not fully understand until we're with Him. And yet, He gives us His Word. He gives us His Holy Spirit. He empowers us by His Holy Spirit. And He commands us to live this life on this earth to bring glory to His name. So Paul here is speaking to the Philippian believers and he has discussed with them the issues of harmony. He wants this church to live in harmony. He wants them to exemplify the Christian life. He wants them to bring glory to God's name. He doesn't want to bring shame to God's name. He knows there's conflicts. And he knows that at times there needs to be correction. Now, these Philippian saints, we'll look at a little bit closer as we go through this study, were greatly dependent upon Paul. They loved Paul. The Apostle Paul brought the gospel to them. He lived amongst them. He nurtured them in the Lord, taught them, discipled them, and they saw the living example of what a Christian life looks like through Paul. And yet, they were greatly dependent upon him. They were grieved that he was in prison. He was over 500 miles away in Rome. He couldn't be with them. And the only communication he has was through letters. And occasionally, they would send somebody to visit Paul. But now he's writing them. He knew of some problems. And yet, he wanted to bring them encouragement. He was doing so, but not without some exhortation and admonition. So as we look at this text, Paul is going to explain what some consider a paradox. Is a Christian life lived out in the power of God? Or is a Christian life lived out in the power of our own strength? Believe it or not, this has been a controversy throughout the church age. Many throughout the church days, have been conflicted over this. So as we look at this, we want to grasp the understanding in a deeper way. 
the question may arise, how did we get saved? Was it God that did it? Or was it our choosing to be saved? Scripture says, by grace you have been saved, through faith. And that is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest no one boast. And yet, John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we see two things here. God's sovereign work and yet man's responsibility to respond in faith. There were two emerging views coming forth in the, around the 17th century. And that was discussing and put, putting forth the essence of the believer's role versus God's role. There was the quietist and the pietist. Now, the quietist, uh, one of the uh, groups that were following that movement were the uh, Quakers. They were well known at that time as quietists. And they were passive in the view of sanctification. A common saying amongst the Quakers was, let go and let God. And they had to be, <clears throat> they had a somewhat of a mystical view uh, and almost a subjective view on personal feelings and experience. They said, if a person who is submitted and dependent upon God, they will be divinely protected from sin and led into faithful living. They say that striving against sin and disciplining oneself to produce good works is considered unspiritual and counterproductive, end quote. Now that was the quietest view of sanctification. The pietist, on the other hand, had a different approach and a different view, totally in contrast with the quietist. Their view was that of Bible study, holy living, self-discipline, and practical Christianity. Their, one of their key verses that supported this practice was from 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And the other verse was, even faith, from James 2, 7, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So they supported this goal of self-perseverance uh, with these verses undergirding that pursuit. So they had these two opposing viewpoints to sanctification, the quietist and the pietist, one extreme and the other. One sitting back in a passive way, waiting on God to move through them. The other pursuing holiness through prayer, study of God's word, and regular daily practice of their faith. 
In our text this morning, Paul presents the balance resolution to this conflict. This part of sanctification, he harmonizes the two views. He says that both are true. Both God and the believer working out the salvation. Another text that is helpful for us to consider, and if you turn there with me, is first Peter, excuse me, second Peter, chapter one. And it's a rather lengthy text, so if you would read along with me. Second Peter chapter one, beginning with verse three. I believe Cornell quoted this as we, as he was going through the beginning the study on the spiritual gifts as we exercise God-given spiritual gifts. <clears throat> I'll back up to verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Now, Peter understood God's grace. He understood it well, and he understood the essence of salvation and sanctification. And yet here, he's not talking about doing anything in your own strength. He knew it was by the grace of God. And yet here he was urging these Christians to work out their salvation and to do so with perseverance. He knew that the only way they could continue to exercise godly lives was to pursue this godliness because God had provided them with everything they need. So what is everything that you need? For life and godliness. What do we have 
in order to live the Christian life. What? We have the Word of God, the Scriptures. What else? We have within us God's Holy Spirit to empower us. We don't live the Christian life in a void. God doesn't command us to do anything he does not empower us to do. So he gives us his word. He gives us and dwells us by God the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us his word to live out in obedience. So Peter is giving the same instruction that Paul is giving and James is giving. And is replete throughout the New Testament and as well as the Old Paul wrote to the Corinthians, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But then goes on to say, But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Look at how he shows the balance there. He's talking about God working in and through him, and he labored. So it was him laboring, but it wasn't him. It was God working through him. There's another, if you would, paradox. Paul knew that he was going to be serving God, and yet he knew it was not powerless. It wasn't Paul doing these works. God was working in and through Paul. He was submitted to God, submitted to service, and yet he served fully with all his might. So there's another paradox. The apostle makes it clear that God's divine grace and power undergirds the faithful obedience of all believers. We really don't have any excuse for disobedience or failure in the Lord. Galatians 2.20 uh, actually, Phil Johnson did an excellent message on this. He called it the triple paradox. <laughs> he did it uh, several years back, but he did an excellent exposition on this passage. Paul says, I have been crucified in Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. The paradox, of course, is Paul saying, it is not I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And then now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So he's going back and forth, which seems to be a paradox. And yet Paul is demonstrating the very life of Christ, the life of grace, the life of God's empowerment, in his life, the full understanding of the walk of grace, the walk in the Spirit. Some people neglect the context of verse 12 and think somehow that salvation can be earned through works. Let's look at the verse. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, 
but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his pleasure. Some have misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misapplied this verse somehow to think that they could earn or work for their salvation. That's a travesty. That's a gross misinterpretation of this text. This says nothing of the kind and never in any passage that Paul or any other of the apostles have written ever stated a works salvation. Paul makes that clear as he goes on. <clears throat> because of these things, you can endeavor to express your salvation and your conduct. When we think of salvation and we think of a person being justified by grace through faith, that's the justification part. And always, always, when justification starts, sanctification simultaneously starts. Though justification is complete, sanctification continues on throughout our life here on earth and is only fully completed we were when we're glorified in Christ. That's when we're fully redeemed. So if we don't understand that, then we lack in our understanding, we lack the understanding of going forth in Christ in obedience. The same power that created in Christ Jesus, that was created in Christ Jesus is created in us to do good works. The attitudes and righteous acts that Paul performed were all in the power of God's Spirit. <clears throat> Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, there was in them an abundance for every good deed in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. <clears throat> then <clears throat> to Timothy, he instructed that every believer is equipped for every good work. That's the second part of 2 Timothy 3.17. Christ died to bring himself a people zealous for every good work. Titus 2.14. Even while we're working out our salvation, Paul said it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The divine and human power working through believers has always existed and exemplified in the Old Testament. Now, I'd like you to turn with me. There's a, another passage that gives a perfect example in the Old Testament. So if you would, turn back to Exodus chapter 14. And it's not a large passage, but I'd like you to look at this because it gives us a great example of God working through Moses. Chapter 14 in Exodus, beginning with verse 13. <clears throat> but Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord 
which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go forth in the midst of the sea on dry land. So there's an example. God was going to deliver Israel from Pharaoh. He did so by miraculous deliverance. He was going to divide the sea and they would go through on dry land. <clears throat> but he did so by having Moses raise up the staff and the people going forth. So he did so in the power, through the power of God, and yet he commanded Moses to raise up his staff. So he showed the power of God so all the Pharaoh and his army could see this is the God of Israel. And yet he delivered Israel. So there was God working in and through his people, and yet he showed his mighty power. Okay, we'll turn back, if you would, back to Philippians. <clears throat> James explains in chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, 2.17, that even so, Faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. Saving faith always produces good works. We don't earn anything by good works. It is what salvation produces. That's what we have to understand. Point of going through these paradoxes and showing the contrast between God working in and through his people is to show that scripture teaches that there are paradoxes, seemingly paradoxes. Uh, some theologians refer to these things as antinomies. That is, it looks like a contrast or something that seems contradictory, but it isn't at all. These are not truly paradoxes. They seem like paradoxes. <clears throat> Faith alone has been always the way of salvation, Old and New Testament. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, the author says that Abel offered a better sacrifice. And he, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter 11, verse 4, that Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Then he goes on to say, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, verse 5. Then in verse 7, it says, Noah was righteous man by faith. Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness and was saved by God's work, grace, working through faith.
says, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. It was put to his account as righteousness because he believed. He exercised faith in God. The one who believes and exercises faith is justified. Grace working through faith. Abraham believed God and was accredited him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but is what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Romans 4, verses 3 through 5. The law was given to Moses, did not alter the way of salvation. It was only by faith that Moses himself, as well as all the Old Testament saints, were saved. Paul emphasizes in Philippians 1.6 that salvation was from God. Remember, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. God began the work in us and he will complete it. From beginning to end, it's God's work. But in verse 2.12, he focuses on the responsibility of believers. That is, what do we do once we're saved? We work out our salvation. We live by the Spirit. And we have the divine life of Christ. Paul tells the Galatians to walk by the Spirit. Verse 25 in Galatians 5. Everything we do in this life takes effort and work. Takes effort to meditate on Scripture. Takes effort to prayer. We have to concentrate when we study God's Word. It's all work and effort. And yet, that is what God desires. And it should give us pleasure to study God's Word. We should be filled it should bring us joy when we immerse ourselves in God's word. As we work through this verse, we'll see how we're to sustain the effort in working out our salvation. Paul begins in this verse and he says, so then, which means he's referring back to everything he had said prior because he was bringing some conclusion to the prior verses of lifting up Christ as the example of humility. It refers back to the example as being the perfect model and showing him as the obedient servant. And then in verses 5 through 8, it showed his incarnation, that he didn't cling to the equality with God, the Father, but he emptied himself of all his divine rights and privileges. One of the greatest truths in the incarnation is what God did in the Spirit's power. Now we think, well, he was still God. Yes, he was. But what he did, he did in the power of the Spirit. Let's take a look at a passage. Now I know you're turning with me in a lot of text, but I want you to look at this in Luke Chapter 4, if you would. Excuse me. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, you don't have to turn to all these, but all of these passages are in Luke. Also in Luke chapter 14, it also shows Christ being empowered by the Spirit. I'm in verse 14 in chapter 4. Same, same chapter, Luke 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee, Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through all the surrounding districts. Then look down at verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, in all of those texts, it shows that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, was empowered by God the Holy Spirit to do these things. So we have, in essence, you're seeing the work of the triune Godhead coming into play. This is my servant in whom I'm well pleased. You see, Ron, go ahead. No, it, uh, Ron is saying, do you think that God was prompted by the Holy Spirit? He was fully uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There was no, uh, it's hard for us to, I guess, consider with our finite minds, but God being sinless was fully empowered and full of the Spirit. So everything he thought and did, he did so knowing the full will of the Father. So everything he did, uh, also he did having full knowledge of being omniscient, knowing God's will for him. So I, is that clear? Yes. Yes. He wasn't transported. He, he went in the power of the Spirit. In other words, being full of the Spirit. Of God, so that's what that's what that verse is speaking of. So all these texts referring to God being empowered by God the Holy Spirit, even in the first part of John, where the Holy Spirit descended upon God in the form of a dove, God visibly showing the Holy Spirit upon Him, which is like an Old Testament picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon, but fully indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, Paul addresses the Philippians. Just have a few minutes left. But he begins by saying this. So then, verse 12, my beloved. That endearing term shows Paul's affection for these Philippian saints. He had lived with these saints. He had suffered in their presence. He, they had seen him beaten. They had seen him in prison. False accusations brought against Paul. And yet, 
he did so joyfully. He did so still willing to bring forth the gospel, knowing that he would continue to be punished and suffer for bringing forth the gospel. And yet he addresses them as my beloved. He missed them. He wished he could be with them. He actually looked forward, as we looked at the first part of Philippians in chapter 1, of being restored back with them. He didn't know if he was going to die. He had not yet been sentenced by Caesar. He wasn't sure whether he'd be sentenced to death or released. But he had hoped that he'd be restored with them. So he addresses them once again as my beloved. It's a word of encouragement and comfort to these Philippian believers. Yes, Carol. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm back in text. Paul, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I went back to the text in chapter 2. I'm on verse 14. Paul is writing to the Philippians. Okay, I'm sorry if I... Oh. Okay, Paul is back addressing these Philippians, and he's using this endearing term, so then, my beloved. The term itself conveys a volume uh, my beloved means you whom Christ love. I, <clears throat> it also means a love like Christ. In other words, Paul's love for these Philippians believers wasn't a, a, just a phileo love, a friendship love. It was agape love, the agapao love that only comes from God. It was the deepest form of love you could have. He exercised that type of love for these. He was, he was willing to die for these believers. Paul lived sacrificially for all those, and yet he did so for Christ. Okay, we're going to stop right here. Um, I got into it uh, three, four words. Verse two. Any other questions before I close? Father, we do thank you for the glorious testimony that your servant Paul has given us and the picture of your son that you have given us and what a glorious example he is to us of humility and the perfection of humility that he lived out for us and how he imparted that love to his servant Paul for these saints. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us the grace to live out our faith in a way that would honor and glorify you. And I pray now as we continue to worship you in song and praise and hymns, and as we worship you and through the proclamation of your word, I pray that our hearts would be clear and pure to receive your word and to be able to glorify you collectively together. We just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.